We'll be reading in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, um, sorry, do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then again in Matthew chapter 15, 1-7a. through 7a. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Thank you. Thank you very much, Denver and Dawn, and for your leadership at Open Door Christian Schools and in our church and in the Northeast Ohio in general. Thank you for your Christ-centered perseverance and influence and for reading today. It's been a couple of weeks now, I, was, I went to a viewing and the line was long, and naturally I struck up a conversation with the gentleman in front of me, and it turned, he was a lawyer and nearing the end of his career, and he told me that he was a divorce attorney, and I said something to the effect of, I said, well, that must be a very heavy job. I mean, for the last 40 years, you've just many times a day have seen husband and wife who once made a pledge now, you know, breaking apart, and you're divvying up their, their material goods. I'm sure that's a very sad job. And he said, well, well, no, not really. You see, I mean, really the family unit and, and husbands and wives is really just a modern convention. 
that it's something that the Puritans, you know, invented, and we're in the hangover of the pilgrims, and so there's nothing really that important about the family, so I'm very glad to participate uh, the way I have in my career. And I say that very much, I think, is the mentality of the culture in which we find ourselves. That the family is there if it's convenient for you. You can kind of play that game for a while so long as it works. And the second that it doesn't work, that out the window it goes. Uh, but there's nothing really essential about it. Uh, take it or leave it. So today, it should waken us up to see, well, we've got a major tension here, don't we? Because we're glancing down at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, anchoring kind of the middle of the Ten Commandments. You remember this is how God is shaping his people. He's redeemed them miraculously through the Red Sea. He's given them the ten words that are going to shape them so that they might influence the nations to obey the true God. And there in verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Say God is the great inventor of marriage, and I think that that's the place we'll make a number of observations today, but I'd like to begin probably with a point that preachers not that long ago needed to make, but I need to make it today, and that is this, that God designed the family for our good, that the family is not something that just the sociologists say at certain point in history was the right thing to do, but rather it's in God's created order, and those of us who know, we open the Bible to the first couple of pages in the created order, you have Adam and Eve, the first family, that God is the designer of the family, and this is the basic building block on which society and even, even the church, right, upon the rock of Christ, but then the family is instrumental to what the church is going to do. And you'll notice again, have a look, verse 12, just that per first part, that there's a father and there's a mother. There's a dad, and there's a mom. See, God designed it from the foundation of the world, that when we live within his design, it's for our good. It's not a convention. It's not something to be tampered with, but it's something to get right, that the family is a good gift from God. Now, I think as we read this, you know, kind of, again, still in the realm of preface comments, you're reading through the Ten Commandments, and today you... Some of you take a good, you know, big sigh and say, okay, we finally come to a commandment that doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm no longer a child or, you know, my parents are deceased or, um, you know, this one's clearly addressed to children. Hey, let me ask you, does that make any sense? That God's brought the people out and he's laying on these heavy commandments about allegiance to God. Do you think all of a sudden now he gets to one and says, well, this one's just for kids. Everybody else can tune out. See, I hope we see that this command is for every one of us. And I know that as I say that, today more than the sermons I've given in recent times, I, I realize today at certain points there's going to be some really difficult things for us to wrestle with, many in the room. To say for some of us, we would have very much liked a family, but it didn't work out that way. For some of us, we read this and our parents have passed on and maybe those relationships didn't end well. Or maybe things with our parents are just so very difficult right now. You read something like this and you say, it's just extremely painful to even think how I can possibly obey this command. Say, I understand that as we read this, more than others, that there are emotions that come with it. But I pray, I pray that as we would sit under the authority of God's word, that as he shapes us, that we would see ours would be a culture where we honor our father and mother, that ours, that is the church, would be one where this is practiced 
and where we build each other up into that truth. So say you're single, again, you say it's not been exactly the way you wanted it to. Think of the great role you have to play by encouraging family participation in the church, and then in a wider lens, seeing the church as a family, and to see even when our earthly parents have let us down, that maybe some of that is bound up and can be restored by the nature of how the church functions. So what I'm trying to say is the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, is not just for children, but rather it's for shaping the people of God and creating a culture, in this case, in Providence Church, of one where we honor our parents. It's for everyone for our families today. Now this next bit, if I can press a bit further and and delicately. And a lot of these so-called social issues now, I think sometimes we're following the news and we can feel like, wow, you know, we we really don't have the arguments and we're backpedaling and playing defense all the time. And I just want to encourage you that as I study this and invite you to study, it seems like to me that everything the Bible has always said, uh, when we obey it, is for the prosperity of, of the people that obey it. So, for example, if you could, no matter what your family situation was, you know, you say you could just de- design what you would have liked your home life to be like. You say you just want to say, what would be the ideal situation? I think most of us would say, well, I, I would really like it if the two people who brought me into the world loved each other and were under the authority of God and that our household was a God-fearing one where he was obeyed. You say, I think that that's something we'd say. That would be the ideal, to have mom and dad love each other and for that to be the case. I remember some years ago, actually, Mallory and I were engaged. We went to a marriage conference, um, much like the one we're going to have here next week. And, uh, um, And I think it was a guy's breakout session, and they say, what's the best thing you can give your children one day? Well, lots of experiences, of course. Good education. Really nice trips. I mean, you try to get them ahead in life. Guy says, you, the best gift you can give your children is to love their mom well. They say, that's a real eye-opener. The point I'm trying to make is what the Bible's always said is a family unit where there's a father and a mother and children coming under them and all of it under the authority of God is the one that bears out for the good of all the parties involved. And again, delicately, I want to say this. If you come from a dysfunctional home, a single-parent home, you say this is not to be harsh at all. I'm just pointing out the illustration that God's design, uh, as all parties would be uh, obedient, would be the one that would win the day. So listen to this. You know, say you really want to follow the science. Uh, have a listen to this. This is from uh, Truett Cathy in the Chick-fil-A, big study out of, uh, out of Chick-fil-A leadership. They said this a couple years ago. 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 80% of rapists, 71% of high school dropouts, 85% of youth in prison, 75% of those adolescents in drug treatment centers. You say, what do they all have in common? Single-parent home. Now, you're sitting here today, you say, I'm a single parent, I'm from a single parent home, this guy's really making me feel, that's not the argument. I'm not saying you're doomed to one of these categories if you are a single parent. The illustration that I'm trying to make, that is, if any of us in the room were really concerned about following the science, that every person should be deeply concerned about incentivizing and protecting God's design for the family. I actually happen to be in the camp, again, no Christian follows God's 
uh, law because it makes sense. Rather, we, we follow it because we want to be obedient. But if we really did, you say, each one of us, I think there's a perfectly secular case to be made for privileging the kind of relationship that brings new citizens into the polis. I mean, you really say, why wouldn't all of us be concerned about how we're raising those who are going to be among us? God says, I've given you a blueprint as you're under, under my word that the father and the mother who bring the children into the world would be under my authority that the children would honor their parents and that this would be the roadmap to going forward. So again, the point I'm just trying to make initially is that the family unit is not a sociological convention for our convenience, but it is something that God invented from the very beginning that he's given us a blueprint, and as we uh, live it out uh, and encourage each other to do so, that is in the culture of Providence Church and beyond, right? Say those of us under the authority, we want to create a culture where father and mother, very important, father and mother are honored, and that is baked into the cake, so to speak. So God designed the family for our good. Secondly, and I think this is really the application question that we, we really want to ask with verse 12, how do you honor them? Uh, what does it actually look like on the ground? How might we honor our parents? Scripture, when it comes to ethical matters, always will give principles and applications. That the principles never change. In this case, honor your father and mother. Say that's a time honor. Say that, that never changes. God says, honor your father and your mother. But the application of that, what it looks like, will change based on our context. And we'll see that from Scripture. So I think well, what Scripture would have for us is that when we are children, honoring our parents looks like obeying them, and that as we grow in our parents' age, honoring our parents means speaking kindly to them and about them and caring for them at great cost. So firstly, let's take a look. I, you, you, it's in your notes, and if you, you can flip there or not, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see what Paul does? He uses different words. He says, children, obey. And then he links children obeying. Where does he go? Right back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. The children, when you obey, you're fulfilling what God says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 to honor your father and mother. Now you're here today, I see a lot of you. You're still under your parents' roof. I say, I, I remember that very distinctly. I'm a young dad, but I just encourage you to think your parents, you know, they're out to lunch. Uh, they don't know anything about the world. Uh, they can do no right. You just try to avoid them, um, perhaps. And you, you just think they're very confused and clumsy people. And I'm, I don't mean to be patronizing to those of you who are young, but something happens when you become a dad. And what's going to happen is you're going to be, over time, a lot more gracious on your parents. <laughs> Say, you know what? They weren't knuckleheads. They actually were pretty smart people. And that they loved me very much. And you can't imagine, before you're a parent, how much you love your kids. And I'd encourage you, again, you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, again, still under your parents' roof. You say, what do you think of this? Honor your father and your mother that it might go well with you. 
Again, I think about it this way. Your parents love you more than any other person who can, on, on the planet, right? Besides the Lord Jesus, your parents love you the most. That they have your best interest in mind. That as you obey them and speak kindly to them and come under their leadership, that God says that he will honor that and it will be for your maturity and for your growth and for the benefit even of the church family. So how does honoring your parents look? What does it look like when you're young? It looks like obedience. It looks like obeying them. Say, not blindly, but in kindness and in trust and being pleasant to them. Now, what about the second part? You say, then how do you get to what it looks like when your parents are aging? And for that, you have on your notes a dialogue. It's hard to break up with the quotation marks, but Jesus confronts the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 about this issue. Pharisees are grown men. They're experts in the law. They're middle-aged guys. And what's happening in that dialogue in Matthew 15 is something like this, that there are certain middle-aged couples coming to the Pharisees, and, and what they're saying is, well, you know what? To take care of our aging parents actually costs money. It's really hard to do to take care of older people. It requires a lot of sacrifice and financial, uh, you know, I'll do better financially if I don't do that. And so what, what they're doing, right, is they're saying, well, the, the money that I could use on helping out mom and dad who are quite old, I can give that to the temple. And if I give it to God, you say, well, isn't that holy? You say, I, don't, I can't take care of my parents because I'm, I'm giving to the church. You catch what Jesus said. You hypocrites. You've rendered void. You've rendered void the word of God. You've made it easy, right? You've taken the easy road by saying, yeah, just write the check. You don't really need to take care of the the older folks. And Jesus says you do that in great peril that we are those, those of us, again, followers of Jesus, under the authority of the word of God, we are those who honor our parents when they're old, and that means taking care of them sacrificially with our time, our talents, and our resources. You know, today, most of us, hopefully you're feeling good physically. I, uh, the last book John Stott ever wrote, if you know John R.W. Stott, he was the, really the architect of 20th century British evangelicalism. I mean, at one point, Time magazine would, would call him, you know, one of the top 100 intellectuals of the century, that kind of thing. I mean, John Stott was a man of very formidable, uh, well-educated, well-respected uh, man of God. And in that book, the last couple chapters one on the decay of his body and then ultimately death. He's very open about what it's like to have his diapers changed as an old man. He said, I didn't want it to be this way. But he says, you know, when we're young, we need our parents, we need our parents to look after us, to change our diapers. And there comes a day where it's going to be where we're at a place where we need help. Wouldn't it be wonder if you're, wonderful if you're a part of a family like the church where baked into the cake is a culture of honoring your parents sacrificially, that we do that, we help each other out, we encourage it, even if it's countercultural. You know, one of the joys of being a pastor is to see people do this up close. I know many of you have. I see even some here this morning. I know that you've looked after aging parents and how very precious that is. And I I don't mean to embarrass them, but um, Kathy Mack, who you know, who I get to work with each day, and Chris Fife, Kathy and Chris are sisters. Chris volunteers in the children's ministry faithfully every week. 
their father went home to be with the Lord, and yesterday we got to do the memorial service, and I just watched Kathy and Chris honor their father, spoke well of him, sacrificially looked after him. And I pray that's not lost on the church family, that we have those who are under the word of God who honor their father and their mother. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do, and this is for our good, and how we communicate to a non-Christian culture why it's different to follow Jesus. So the moves that we've made, God designed the family for our good. It's a basic building block. He's given us the blueprint. Secondly, we all honor our parents. That looks differently based on the context. When we're young, we obey, And when we're older, we care for sacrificially and speak well of and speak well to. Now, why is this at all theological? Bold heading number three. Is this just a a lesson on behaviorism? You might think it's a good thing to do, makes us, you know, maybe, you know, nice practice. Here's the picture behind the picture. That is that the family unit is a microcosm of the family of God and will be the, the little church The family is the little church that communicates to everybody what it means to follow God. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, this is the first time we're introduced to the category of the fatherhood of God. That God says, Israel is my son. Now, that's going to happen many more times in the Bible. Say, our father, right? The Lord's prayer. Our father, we recognize God as a father. So, you're thinking here to say, okay, God's given us... He calls himself father. He's given us earthly fathers, and we, we have children and say, what's going on? It's clear, right, that the, the family, the way that we conduct our affairs under our roofs is going to communicate something to the children about our understanding of God. That uh, this is not so much based on the performance of the parent, you might say, but rather it's about being obedient to what God has called us to, so we might invite all those in the family to follow him. And I, I, I think at this point, I, a couple things. This was very obvious to a generation of theologians. 17th century, uh, you know, something like the Westminster Standards produced four documents. One of them is called the Family Directory. It's about how you lead devotions and lead your family under the authority of God. And if you remember our membership covenant that we took, you said there should be echoes here, raising up children and, the, and you know, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Where's that come from? It comes right out of Exodus 20 and verse 12 and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. So this is something that has been lost that we want to recapture that the, 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 the family unit is a representation of the larger family of God. We invite others to follow him in, in, in that. Now here's a big objection to all that I've been saying. How in the world do I do this when I have been so, I've been so incredibly mistreated by one of my parents? I see no way to do it. A couple of responses to that, and I know say this is raw. When there is a conflict between any person and God, so scripture is clear that we obey God rather than man, right? So if our parent would ask us to do something that is in direct violation to the word of God, we obey God and, and not a person, no matter what the relationship is. So you'll notice here really though, I should start with this, that all the commandments like this one are to Israel. There's a presumption that every person is acting under the authority of God. There's a presumption that we've all recognized our redemption and at least we're saying, oh God has spoken and we want to work it out. So what happens if one parent in this case is not a Christian and they've done terrible things to you? Say, yes, you obey God rather than man. But in my experience, it's been more like this. 
that my parent who's really difficult and has been so hard to me has not so much asked me to disobey the law of God. They're just so very unloving. They're so very unloving and so very difficult. What do I do? And I would encourage us as a church family that by the strength that God provides, that we would honor our parents, that we would speak well of them, hoping, praying that in God's good time, that he would use our Christian witness to draw them to himself. And I've seen this happen, right? That you'll have a 15-year-old who comes to a youth event, and God does a work in that person's life, gives them a new heart, that they're born again, and that teenager is so transformed, all of a sudden they start to listen to their parents and start to treat them kindly. The parents say, what in the world is this? Is there something really true about what God has done in Jesus? And lo and behold, the family, God draws the family to himself, that it does happen. So again, I know that this is raw to say if you're in this situation, and by the way, the first case, say, well, is Pastor Shaw saying that if we've been abused by a parent that we should stay in the household? Say nothing. No, I'm not saying that. Why? Because that parent has so abdicated the responsibility under the authority of God. Say if it's something, if it's a matter of blatant violation of God's law, say there's a different set of circumstances. But here you say, if we're operating under this principle, that I want to be obedient to the principle in the hopes that God will use my witness to draw even a difficult parent to myself. So again, in sum, that the household, the family unit, the way that we conduct our affairs under our roof is going to testify to what God has done in our life. And I'll just read one good example. There are good and bad examples of this. I couldn't resist. You know, some of you know the Wesley family. Uh, John and Charles and the Holy Club really started Methodism back in the 18th century. Their mother, Susanna Wesley, was one of the great ladies in all Christian history. She gave birth 19 times. And somebody said, like I said, after the first service, I got a long way to go. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. But 19 children. And this is a, uh, an old biography, and I, I just love this description. You picture these little Wesley kids and Susanna Wesley, real woman of God. The Wesley children were a cluster of bright, vehement, argumentative boys and girls living by a clean and high code and on the plainest fare, but drilled to soft tones, to pretty formal courtesies, with learning as an ideal, duty as an atmosphere, and the fear of God as law. It says, no wonder that two of those boys would grow up to be great churchmen because their mother understood the way that I represent God in my home is of great importance to God. It's going to show them what it's like to have God as an authority. And that's a real charge to us parents, isn't it? It's very hard to understand the loving nature of God as Father if we as fathers do not exemplify that and make it very hard on our children to honor us and therefore to honor God. So that's point three. Earthly parents represent the authority of God. The, 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 the home is the first church that we have. And lastly, what about this promise? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Now, one of those say, what's going on? Is this saying that if you're an obedient child that you're going to live longer than disobedient kids? Because I've known some people that have been really good sons and really good daughters, and they've died young because of illness. What's this promise? The best way to explain this promise, I think, is this. How would the original uh, audience have thought about passing on the truths of God? How did young people coming up learn this stuff. So remember the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4? We read it a few weeks ago. It says children, you, or parents, you, you teach your children. That every day you're to teach them what God has done. 
about the grace and redemption of God, that this is how you, uh, this is who you are, that you're a Christian. And so if you say we cut off this relationship, we just chop it off to say, well, kids can do whatever they want and parents have no obligation to their kids to represent God, let's just sever it. Well, what's going to happen? The people are going to forget who they are in just a couple generations. And generational drift and forgetfulness, people say, is that a real thing? You say, you better believe it. I've been on plenty of college campuses. You look up at the stone inscription, you know, my own alma mater, Dominus Illuminatio Meo, the Lord is my light. Uh, That's long gone. Missional drift. They say, if we forget to tell our children of the great redemption of God and Jesus, the great grace that we have, say, if things are not going to go well for us, we're never going to learn to honor God, and consequently, that God will give us over to ourselves and we'll be doomed. The point I'm trying to make is when we honor our parents, God is pleased, and our community will prosper. God says, you teach the precepts, you obey me, take this family seriously, and as you do that, that our church family will be built up in strength, and that God's kingdom will advance. Friends, I know today I've said some things that are maybe difficult. Some of you, you're just visiting. You're like, man, goodness, this guy really, anybody say these kind of things today? Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian. And there's a flood of emotion over this whole topic because you and your dad ended on bad terms and he passed away, say. Or you look back and say, I'm 60 years old, my kids are growing and flowing, and I was an absent dad. The times that I got violent with my kids, the complete failure I was at representing God to them. The tough things here. And you're sitting there today, maybe with some feelings of guilt and sad, sadness, and you might be saying, well, what, what can be done about this? What can be done? Because it's all past. Say, there's very good news for you. There's a great proclamation this morning, that is that God has acted in Jesus, knowing he knows each one of us has been an imperfect son and an imperfect parent. Say, I won't do it now, but say, who in the room is a perfect parent? Who in the, in the room is a perfect daughter, a perfect son? Has anyone been perfect in those roles? I think we'd all say, you know what? No. God knew that because of our sin nature, our selfish nature, and what he said, that's why I sent my son into the world, right? That he was on the cross so that we might... Lay over that guilt and sadness and failure onto the cross so that it might be raised up in Jesus. So that he might turn the shameful things and the guilty things and all the things that we brushed under the carpet, all the sad things in our life that say they've been raised up in Jesus to new life. That what the locusts had eaten away, God has restored in Jesus. And I challenge you today, again, you don't know Jesus, you've not surrendered to him, say maybe today, thinking about your family, thinking about all that's there, to say, you know what, I do need a savior, and I see that God has acted in Jesus. Don't wait another moment, but say yes to him, and surrender to him, and allow him to heal you, and use you in this realm and others. And Christians, those of us who are Christians, rarely do this kind of application, I do. But maybe today is a day where you're thinking about you haven't talked to one of your parents in a long time. I think Sunday nights are actually a good night to do this. Maybe you call up dad. Dad, I know it's been a while, but I wanted to thank you for looking after me. And you know this good memory that I have? Thank you, dad. I just wanted to call you tonight and honor you. Mom, been way too long since we talked.
being a mom's hard work. I understand now better what it means to give birth and look after infants. Mom, I love you. I want to honor you. Parents says, what? Why'd you do this? Well, today, I was reading my Bible and read Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. And I wanted to honor you for what you've given me in this life. I pray that we would be those that would swallow our pride and would do that. And that ours would be a culture, a culture in our church, right? Doesn't matter where you're at in this journey, but what we're going to do, we're going to hold each other accountable. Ours is the one where small children are encouraged to obey godly parents. Godly parents are encouraged to represent God to their children. And that all of us in that process will carry this out so that we might be salt and light to a non-believing world. And all this by the strength that God provides by his spirit. Amen. Father, thank you for this word that has cut us deep. We've not honored our parents. We've not been exemplary parents. We've been preoccupied, sinful, selfish. Lord, help every person whose ear can hear your word today to say, for those of us who've blown it big time, to say, you know, today's the day I gotta surrender my baggage, my failures to the Lord Jesus and allow him to raise those up. I surrender to him. I see that I'm a sinner. I wanna be reconciled to you. And for those of us who are Christians to say, you know, we've got a little bit of work to do here. Help us to honor, honor our parents. And Lord, may all of our homes how we influence each other, uh, practice hospitality as we interact under each, each other. So help, help us to be a church where we say, okay, these little churches help young ones come to see the value of who you are in your church family. So Lord, help this sink in. Help us to apply it for Christ's sake. Amen.